We are in our final week of a series, Lessons in Greatness. And the premise of the series um, is that we all want to make a difference, right? We all want to matter. And I don't know if it's Vader-Meinhof phenomenon. Again, if you've been listening to the message, you know what that means. I'm not going to go into it right now. But I've been noticing something a whole lot lately, and I don't know what, if it's just the frequency bias or what, um, uh, selective attention and con- confirmation bias, I think, is, is, is what it is. Um, I read an article, uh, and the researchers were trying to figure out what makes a person's day good. Right, so they interviewed a whole bunch of people, and, and what, what's going on when you experience a good day? And they, they, there were a lot of different things, but one of the key things that the researchers found is, is this. They said, um, a good day is when they feel productive, and they know that their efforts are contributing to something worthwhile. I'm like, yes, that's what I'm preaching on. Everybody go read this article. So anyway, that's a, that's a freebie there. That's a twofer. Um, really what I want to talk about this morning is uh, something that C.S. Lewis wrote, and Jesus talked about it too, and we're, we're going to come to that too. Um, C.S. Lewis, and I, for the life of me, I can't remember in what book I was going to go to the library and, or my library and go through all my C.S. Lewis books. I thought that would be a huge, huge waste of my time, so I'm just going to say it's been one of C.S. Lewis's books. Um, he makes this point that um, Christianity has a burden, right? There's a burden to Christianity, um, Tim Keller, Timothy Keller, a pastor in New York City, he calls it a, a trap. He calls it the trap of Christianity, this, this burden. Um, and, and this burden or this trap has ended the faith of a lot of people, right? And if it hasn't ended their faith, it's really jacked it up, all whacked it all out of shape, and now it's, it's, it's tough to call it a faith. It's, it's, it's just a, a weird thing now. Um, Again, followers of Jesus Christ, they'll, who are listening, they're watching this morning, they're, they're going to have an immediate reaction to what I'm saying right now. What could I be talking about? Um, some of the things I could be talking about, but I'm not going to talk about it, is the fact that as followers of Jesus Christ, we're called to serve and not be served, right? That, that's a burden that people, they didn't know when they signed up. They thought, well, Jesus is going to take care of everything. What do you mean there's a burden? <laughs> what do you mean I got to serve? And, and, and that kind of catches some people off guard, some new followers of Jesus Christ, right? We're, we're called to carry our crosses and, and give to those in need. In fact, we're supposed to give to those in need extravagantly, and particularly those that people we don't even like. <laughs> That's a burden. That, that, that. And some people, some people would even call it a trap, right? I thought I was, gonna, I was, I thought I was signing up and God was going to fix everything. Well, he's not. He's making me do a lot of things I don't want to do. But having to serve and carry the cross and to give extravagantly isn't actually what C.S. Lewis was talking about, nor is it what Jesus is talking about in this passage I'm about to show you. This is in chapter 16 of, of John's gospel. This is the 33rd verse. It says this, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Now these things that he's talking about are, are not serving and carrying a cross and all those kind of things, right? What Jesus is actually talking about and what C.S. Lewis is talking about is, and and what chapter 16 was really about, go home, check this out, there's your homework, one part of it, I'm going to give you some more in a little bit. You read through chapter 16 and you recognize what Jesus is talking about, he's telling the disciples, look, people are going to hate me, they're going to hate my message, they're going to hate you because you're going to be preaching my message. Those in power are going to hate you. Those without power who want power are going to hate you because I'm going to turn power on its ear. I'm going to turn it upside down and the people who have acquired power by certain means, they're going to be labeled bad. 
and people are going to hate you for this. It's going to be taken, it's going to take some getting used to, and people are going to really fight against it. In the context of, again, this passage here in John chapter 16, it's an amazing passage. It sounds like as we read that thing that the chapter ends all hunky-dory. He's told them some things, but actually the context of this passage is, is kind of amazing, right? He spent the whole chapter trying to tell them this is what's going to happen. I have to go in order for the comforter to come, the advocate, the Holy Spirit. I mean, I, I've got to do this. Because the Holy Spirit is going to convict people. They're going to tell them that they were wrong about me. They were wrong about righteousness. They were wrong about a lot of things. That's what the Holy Spirit is going to do. And I have to go in order for the Holy Spirit to come. And in the context of this passage, as you read through, right before this verse right here in verse 33, the disciples, it's like they're saying, oh, now we get it, Jesus. Now you're making sense. Like, and again, they don't. They don't get it. And immediately we're going to find this out, right? Oh, now we get it. Jesus had just been telling them that anything they ask for, they're going to get, right? They're, they're, yeah, okay, okay, yes, yes, yes. We thought we were going to have to suffer, but no, no, it sounds all fantastic. And Jesus chuckles. I think he chuckles, right? Go ahead and read it. Right before verse 33, he's like, you guys, you don't get anything. In fact, this very day, you're all going to run from me. Right? You're going to run to your home. You're going to hide underneath your bed. You're going to hide in your closet because you're going to be scared because of my message. <laughs> and then he says, but hey, I'm told you these things. Look, I, I still love you. You're going to blow it. You're going to blow it. You're going to blow it, but I'm not done with you yet. You're going to blow it, but I'm not done with you yet. I've told you these things so that you can have peace. Even when you're blowing it, <laughs> in this world you will have trouble and it will get you sometimes. It will just get you. But take heart, I've overcome the world. It won't get you in the end. It, it won't get you in the end. So the burden that C.S. Lewis and Jesus are talking about isn't the hard work, right? Now, now listen to this. It's that the hard work works. That's what Jesus is worried about in this passage. That's what C.S. Lewis is worried about in this passage. It's the greatness principle, right? When God blesses you, when you bless others, God blesses you. And the burden that C.S. Lewis is talking about is what do we do with all these blessings, Right? We, I, I, I've said this before. A lot of our blessings are, are locked up in our garage and our storage units. Right? They're not blessing anybody. We thought when we got it, oh, this is a blessing from God, the boat, the motorhome, everything. And now it's, you know, one thing's broken. It's been sitting for four years collecting dust and leaves. And what kind of blessing, what kind of blessing was that? Uh, when you bless others, God blesses you. Adhering to and following scriptural admonitions and directives generally leads to a, an improvement in the quality of life. A lot of times, dramatic improvements in somebody's life. They go from the gutter to a productive job and a, and a home, right? They, they go from dead, broken relationships to flourishing, loving relationships, right? It's the hard work. It, it works. Your life improves, and what Christians around the world have found out, what, what, what do we do with all these blessings that God gives us? Do we, what do we do with it all, right? Again, the burden they're referring to is the success or the improvement in the quality of life that generally follows following Jesus, right? And again, remember, he's not against wealth. He's not against greatness, what, he is, what he's concerned about is how did you achieve your wealth? How did you achieve your greatness? And then, more importantly, what are you going to do with it now? That's what he's concerned with. He's not against all these things. 
How you got it and what are you going to do with it? Did you cheat to get it? Did you write on other people? And now that you got it, are you going to bless other people or are you going to hoard it? Right? We've been looking at passages like Ezekiel 34. There was hoarding going on. And what you then do with either greatness or wealth or any of the blessings that God gives you, it's, it's kind of a two-part burden, kind of, kind of two problems. I'm going to kind of look at them this morning. The first part of the problem is what do you do with your big gains, right? You've blessed people, and now God has blessed you. And you're like, wow, what do I do with all this stuff? And I, can I just tell you, um, don't build a bigger barn. <laughs> Some of you know this parable. Go home, check it out, look it up, uh, the parable of... of uh, you know, the, 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 rich, the rich fool who, who God blessed him and he got some windfall and he, and he built, instead of blessing other people, he built a bigger barn. Don't do that, right? Dead end. Literally, that's a dead end. Go home and read the parable. It's amazing, right? So what do you do with your big gains, right? Remember, the, I showed you this last week. The true owners of what we call our own are those to whom with it we may do good and to withhold is a breach of trust, right? And this reflects God's kind of economy, Right? Everything that we have, it's not an ownership, but it's a stewardship. How will we use it wisely, not how will we consume it personally? Now, some things we do consume personally, food, so forth, right? But he's asking us, don't just think about yourself. Think about those around you. Second part, with which we're going to do a little bit more with today, the first part is how do you, what do you do with your big gains? The second part is what do you do with your big head? That's what we want to deal with today because when God starts blessing you, after you've been blessing people, he's going to start blessing you. You're going to start going, oh, look at me, right? It's just, man, I'm amazing. I, I'm, how do we let folks know that the extravagantly loving things that we do, right, and the joy that they see in their faces in our faces and the general improvement in our lives, right? How do we tell people that not based on our good looks, it's not based on our talent or our skills or the fact that we're just really, really, really nice people, how do we tell people that it's really everything that they're seeing in our lives is a reflection of our relationship with a holy and extravagantly loving God? Right? How do we point people's eyeballs who think that we're the ones doing it all and, and point to the one that is actually responsible for it all so we don't get these big gigantic heads? Again, rather than allowing folks to believe it was all due to you know, us. And even if it was a little bit due to us, right, how do we, how do we keep it from going to our heads and spoiling it all, right? Because people will credit you when you do really, really great things. They will send you really nice notes, like Krista. You're amazing, Doug. You're, you know, and it kind of, it does, it goes to our head and, and we run the risk of being narcissists. So I kind of had to do a little bit of digging, right? Um, narcissism, it's, again, I, I think it's that Bader-Meinhof thing. I'd never even heard the word to about three years ago, and now I see it everywhere, right? I, I'm, I know I'd never seen the word before. And a narcissist is basically somebody who is 100% self-serving, in a nutshell. And the article I read is, the, the fact of the matter is, God gave us a little bit of narcissism, right? In order to move the world forward, in order to do great things... Uh, Many people have to draw attention to themselves, right? If, as a pastor, if I'm not 
throwing myself out there just a little bit and kind of being in the limelight just a little bit, I'm not going to convince you to move forward in a direction I think we all need to be moving. I, I kind of got to be out there just a little bit, a little bit of a narcissist, right? When you go and you do amazing things, when you go out and get that job and you go out and get that girl, you, there's a little bit of, you know, shirt popping you got to do to have that confidence to go do what you're called to do. But the writer of this article says that we then cross that line into ugly narcissism, and then we just irritate people, and they don't, we don't know when to stop talking. <laughs> Pastors <laughs> tend to be narcissists. <laughs> Let's get off that topic right now. All right, here we go. So, um, and, and again, I want to throw this. It's so hard when people are complimenting you, and you know you should be giving credit to God and part of the reason is because when people are complimenting you, your brain endorphins are just firing off, man. You're, 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 you're feeling good. And you're thinking, wow, they may mistakenly believe that I was behind that, you know, and if I don't say anything, they're going to kind of keep building me up. And wow, this feels really good. So, I mean, we totally get it when people don't mention, well, it actually wasn't me, it was God, right? Because we, it feels good to people when they compliment us. But it's a dead end. It's a dead end. You've got to point people back to Christ. We're going to get into that, the reasons why, in just a little bit. In fact, Jesus lays out our options. In Matthew chapter 23, verses 11 and 12, it says this. The greatest among you will be your servant. So, and this is the part of the problem. This is the first part of the problem, right? What to do with your big gains. The greatest among you will be your servant. Jesus seems to be saying, his opinion seems to be, is the great people will be the ones who bless others with what my heavenly Father has blessed you with. That's what marks greatness. My heavenly Father blesses you, and you turn around and bless people around you. That's greatness. Like Jesus knew that God's blessing could become an issue. It could become a burden. So he gives this advice. Everything that I give you, give away. <laughs> if you hold on to it too long, I promise you it'll mess you up. It'll just mess you up. And this is the context for this passage. Folks were wanting lofty titles, right, because they had achieved things. And instead of giving credit to God, they said, no, call me rabbi and give me the seat of honor. Go home, read, read chapter 23. That's the other part of your homework, the, the, the beginning of chapter 23. Like the whole chapter is all these people going, oh, look at me, look at me, look at me. And Jesus is saying, stop it. You don't have to be called teacher. In fact, you're all brothers and sisters, I've come to kind of level the playing field. No longer will some of you be greater than others. You're all great. You all have a purpose. Some of your purposes are more seeable, more noticeable, more visible than others, but all of you serve a purpose, and all these purposes are divine and important and incredibly, we've got to have them. They had mistakenly believed that these things reflected their greatness and their glory and not God's, and then they made religion a show right? It wasn't about what's inside. It was about what, what, what people could see. And so they would be very, very showy, and they would write rules and put them on their forehead and would put giant tassels on their robes to say, oh, look how holy I am. I follow the law plus some. And then to the second part of the problem, right? So we, we've got the problem. What do we do with the big gains? And Jesus' advice, give it away. <laughs> give it away or it'll wreck you. But the second part, the second part, what do you do with your big head? This is in Matthew, again, chapter 23, 11 and 12. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Now understand, as you're looking at this, if it's beside me here, those are two actual conclusions, 
right? I don't want you to be confused here. It's not that that first part is therefore the second part. Um, what, what Matthew has, has done, he said a lot of things, and these are two related conclusions, right? The first conclusion is bless others with what God has blessed you with, right? Serve others. The second conclusion is don't take credit for the things to which God should be receiving credit, right? Give credit where credit is due. And here's, here's what will happen if you do or you don't. You can humble yourself or God will humble you. Can you say no-brainer? That's a no-brainer. And the other half is a no-brainer too, right? Exalt yourself or let God exalt you. (laughs) That's a no-brainer, folks. I I know you're suddenly going, no, don't. Stop it. Go, do this. Amen. Amen. Absolutely. And again, we're not talking like a Uriah heap, right? If you've read David Copperfield or Charles Dickens, I don't remember what book he was in, this false humility. Like, oh, my greatest fault is I'm so humble, right? And that's not what we're talking about here at all. I had a guy at another church, and I would try to thank him for stuff, and he would always get mad at me. Don't thank me. Thank God. Oh, thank God. And, I, and it, it, it rubbed me really wrong because I felt Scripture telling me that I should be thankful for all things. And so I would, and he would get off, don't thank God, thank God. Thank. So I, 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 yeah, I'm not going there. You, you can receive, someone says thank you, say you're welcome, right? Thank them for pointing something out that you did well, right? I love it when people come up to me and say, hey, good sermon. I say, thank you for telling me that. It helps. Otherwise, I go home wondering, man, I wonder if I bombed. I wonder if I, man, I bet you I stunk it up. So just lie to me if you, well, okay. All right, all right, all right, all right, all right, all right. All right, so not a false humility, right? It's okay, but, but then try to connect the dots, right? It's okay to say, hey, I am the one that did it, but in fact, God's the one that pointed it out. He's the one that encouraged me. He's the one that put a love in my heart to even notice it in the first place. He was kind of behind a lot of this. So just, you know, kind of help people connect the dots, right? You don't got to be mean about it, that mean man. All right, so, so that's the what to do, right? So we know what to do. And I, and I don't know about you. I hate it when somebody tells me what to do, but they don't tell me how to do it. <laughs> you ever had a boss tell you what to do, but they don't tell you how to do it? And you're like, ah, I'm going to tell you how, right? Well, I'm going to let the Bible tell you how. Let Jesus tell you how. This is in Colossians. This is a letter that Paul wrote. To a church he actually didn't start. Somebody else started it. Um, but he's writing this letter, uh, chapter 3, verse 23, it says this. this. Here's the how. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, and it is the Lord Christ you are serving. A couple things real quick. That inheritance that you receive, that, that whole line looks like a you do good things and I'll reward you. That's not really what it's about. The inheritance that he's talking about is the inheritance that we believe by simply trusting in Jesus. Not really connected to how many good things that we do. I just want to make that, that absolutely clear right now. Is, is Don't read this passage as if you do good things, then you get an inheritance. That's not what it's saying at all. Okay? The inheritance that you're going to receive is because you've trusted Jesus Christ. It's without merit. It's God's grace. <laughs> you just get it, right, because you trusted in him. Now, I can't help think, but Paul's thinking about the separation of the, shirt, the, the sheep and the goats here, right? If the goats had only realized that when they served or when they fed or when they clothed the least of these, that they were actually joining Christ on the cross, Right? They were actually joining in the redemption of the world. They were joining in suffering with Christ. They were joining Christ in displaying the greatest power that the world will ever know, sacrificial love, not the sword.
What might look like? What would it look like if, if you decided to take this seriously? What, what would it look like? And, I, and the two questions I'm going to show you are kind of painful a little bit. Um, but, but what if you took it seriously? What, what if every time you serve, whether it's out there in the coffee shop, sound booth, I, I don't care what you're doing, if you, were, if you believed that the person in front of you was Jesus Christ, what would it do? What would it do to the way you serve? I mean, the question that came to my mind is, is I, I wrote a couple of them here. What would, what would be, would you be more willing to get involved where you know you should be involved? And would you be more likely to avoid half-heartedness and serve instead with, with excellence if, in fact, the person standing in front of you was Jesus Christ? Would that change anything? I read a pastor. He was, he was talking about being at a pastor's conference, <laughs> and all the pastors were whining and complaining about how hard their congregations were, how hard their people were, how, you know, just blah, 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 just, just a lot of whining. And the conference leader, and I don't know how this panned out, I just kind of read an account of it, but at some point the, the conference leader stood up and he asked a question, and it, it changed everything. Hit that next slide there. Who are you serving? He asked them. And they're all like, well, we're, we're serving the people, and we're... And he's like, no. You're serving God. Here, here's what he writes. Um, <clears throat> as long as you're working for people, you will end up frustrated, burned out, and even hurt. Right? Think about John in chapter 16 of... Think about Jesus in chapter 16 of John. He's on his way to the cross... And he's told the disciples, this is the way it's going to be. And he knows they're going to run. He knows it. See, if Jesus had been working for people, he would have been frustrated, burnt out, and hurt. But he wasn't. Look at his words. He loved them. He, he didn't let that bother him. But when you stop working for the people in front of you and instead work for God through them... You'll minister more effectively and find more joy in the process. I love that. I love that. And, and it's true. In whatever situation you are in your life, when you try to serve the person, the person is awfully fickle. <laughs> you all are fickle, and you know it. But when you're serving God, he, he's, he's not fickle. He's just, like, thankful. He's like a, this is so horrible. He's like a really good dog. I don't even go there, Jerry. It's just, it's, anyway. Uh, final things that we want to address today, right? We know to bless others with what God blesses us. We know to give credit where credit is due. We know to be humble. We know to do all things as if for the Lord. Now, let me just throw one last thing at you here. With all this focus and attention being directed back to a holy and extravagantly loving God, to the best of our ability, it seems to me that what we're doing, how we bless others, should be with total excellence, not just one off it, not mailing it in, right? If Jesus Christ is the one standing in front of you, are you going to mail it in or are you going to spend some time working it, right? Because it's Jesus Christ standing right there in front of you. Listen to this. This is amazing. This is in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God, right? The Corinthians have been discussing possible difference between eating holy and unholy things, and in a nutshell, Paul tells them um, 
You're giving undue honor to things that belong to God, right? It's not the food that goes here, right? It's, <clears throat> it's what goes here and what comes in here and what goes in here that's going to mess you up, not, not, not the food, right? So they were confused about what's holy and what's not holy and what's good and what's not good for you. One pastor writes this, <clears throat> reflecting on this passage here. In response to his holiness and greatness... In gratitude for his monumental sacrifice for us, our attitude ought to be to pay tribute to him with the best that we can offer. I'm not talking about obsessive perfectionism, but rather an attitude of excellence that permeates all we do. After all, what we do as Christians reflects on the Christ that we serve. So the question before us, who decides what's excellent and what's good enough? There's there's a... a, um, a definition, this isn't, you might not find this in the dictionary, but this definition works for us this morning, a definition of excellence, right? If, if we are going to reflect a holy and excellent God, we need to serve with excellence. Whoa, 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 what's excellence, right? I, my, my youngest daughter, when I say clean her room, we have different excellence <laughs> standards, right? I'm not going to say whose is higher and whose lower, but we definitely have different standards of what's excellent. So, so, so what, what, what's excellent? Right? If you're a Bill Gates, excellence is going to be different than my daughter, I promise you. It better be different because God has blessed those two people radically differently. Right? So excellence, doing the best you can with what you've been given. I love what Doug said right? in our little video, children's ministry moment. Right? Do the best with what God has given you. That's all he's asking. If you're a poor person, he's not going to ask you to give a million dollars away. He, that, that's, that's, that's not in your realm. That, that's, but if you've got a lot of money, he might be leaning on you. He might be knocking on your door saying, hey, <clears throat> what are you doing with the blessings I've given you? I got an idea. If you listen to me, I'm going to bless you out of it. <laughs> Do the best you can with what you've been given. <clears throat> Think about the parable of the talents. Three guys. And you get the impression that two of them were working for the glory of the master and one of them was working for his own glory. Maybe a better way to say it, he was working for his glory that he didn't want taken away from him because he was more worried about how that would reflect on him and not reflect on God. Like, if, if I lose this or if I risk it and if I don't, and I don't have anything to give back to the master, I'm gonna, I, he worked out of fear, right? Total fear, that, that third guy, the parable of the talents. He was all worried about his glory, not God's glory. Same with the good Samaritan. Two people walked by. They were more concerned about how this would affect them instead of thinking about how this whole situation affected that man lying in the road. Excellence on our part echoes the excellence of God. Matthew 6, let me close with this. Chapter 5, verse 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. We've talked about this a lot this continuum that God seems to work with. Starts with God and he passes it on to Jesus. Jesus passes it on to the disciples and disciples pass it on to us and we pass it on and we pass it on and we pass it on. The same thing here, right? When people see us giving glory to God of the things that we do, when attention is turned to us and we turn it back toward God, they will inevitably, that's the way it's done. They'll start doing the same thing. They will begin to give glory to their heavenly father in heaven. And we consistently do the best that we can and connect the connection, the attention back to the God that we're serving, we will be reflecting his glory to the world. We will be the light that he's talking about. I want to close with this, this last, last piece of advice. Um, 
Read an article, it was written about four or five years ago, John Middendorf, I think he's the son of one of our general superintendents. Um, I followed him many years ago when he was a youth pastor. He's been for about a decade. I think he's the pastor at Kansas City First Church. And he wrote this article about four or five years ago about um, the Joker. And he was talking about the Joker, and he's talking about um, how different actors have portrayed the Joker over time. And he started with Jack Nicholson. And Jack Nicholson was what was called a... a, um, a method actor, I think it's called, right? That, that they, they get into the character 100%, and then when they go home, they don't leave the character. They're like they live the character for the entire time of the filming so that they are purely the character, right? So Jack Nicholson got to be the Joker at one point. Um, and if you know anything about Batman, the Joker is like the, the pinnacle of the people, of the, the enemies of Batman, right? The Joker is like maniacal. He's just like the worst. He's, in so many different ways, he's different than all, of, all the other Batman bad guys. Um, and, so, and, and, and this pastor, John Middendorf, talks about um, the Joker and how people have portrayed him. And the first one, he starts off with Jack Nicholson. Jack Nicholson, again, was a character actor. He was a method actor. He got all into it. And, and it, in his own words, he said, it, it just about wrecked me because I had to go really dark in order to be the joker, a maniacal evil, Jack Nicholson said, I, I kind of had to become that, and I almost didn't come out of it. It was the darkest period of my life. So then when he hears that Heath Ledger is going to play the joker, he calls him and says, don't do it. If you do this, if you do it, you better be careful. Maybe you all know the story. Heath Ledger, he's, he's, he's one of those kind of actors, a method actor, and he, he got into it. Right? He got into it. And we find out later, two weeks before the ending of the filming, he had been seeing doctors, psychiatrists, because he had to go so dark and so deep into his role that he began to have some serious, serious issues. And he began to see doctors, and they began to just prescribe medications for him to try to calm down his anxiety because he just, he lost himself in his character. And then we know two weeks before the ending, he, he wrote, he had a journal and the last words that he writes is bye-bye. He went so deep, he lost himself. That's an ugly story if we look at it from one perspective, but I think we can draw something from it. This is what John Middendorf drew from it. Paul tells us that we, in this passage here, we tend to flip on the light Right when we're feeling it, and we flip off the light when we're not feeling it. We, we play a part for parts of our lives, and then other parts of our life, we flip it off when we're something else. Paul decided that that was a losing strategy. Right? If you read Galatians chapter 2, there's your third piece of homework. Matthew 23, John 16, and Galatians 2. <laughs> mean preacher. Um, Galatians chapter 2, he just talks about, I am, I am, I am dead. I am, I, am a, I am, Paul is gone. Not, 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 not the essential parts of Paul, his personality, his love, his joy, his, 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 but who he identifies as. That, 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 he said that person is dead and buried, just like Christ was dead and buried. And when I came back up, I was a new, I'm a different, I am completely, Paul's dead Christ is alive in me. And so I just want to suggest this morning, if, you, if you're one of those people that has a habit of flipping the light on, flipping the light off, Paul's advice would be this. Turn that light on and then get rid of the light switch. Just get rid of it. Get rid of it. 
Leave that light on. All. Don't leave the option open to turn off that light. Become Christ. Let yourself be lost so that when people see you, they see Christ. And they see the things that you do and they see, well, Christ, I wonder if he could do that for me. I wonder if I could have that kind of joy. Even in the midst of all the crazy stuff going on because they're doing it, I bet you that could be for me. Bow your heads. Father, you know the task that you've given us. You know the obstacles in our way. You have pointed these out through the Gospels and, and through Paul and the other letter writers. You made everything as clear as you possibly could. We would have troubles in this world. Not only do we have to serve and, and give, but when we do that, it, it, <laughs> our life improves. And then, Father, we run the risk of being separate from people still in need because our needs got met. So, Father, guard our gains. Guard against our big heads. You've given us clear instruction. I bless others with what you've blessed us with. Give credit where credit is due. And serve with the very best that you can. Father, we're, we're, we're coming up on Faith Promise. Next week we have a speaker. And Father, this week I would pray that every person would strongly consider what is the best that they have and what can they offer from the best that they have. Father, I just pray a blessing over Dan in this week's devotions every morning as he draws us toward this, this challenge next Sunday, a Faith Promise challenge. Father, that we would be able to do the best with what you've given us, nothing short of that, that we would be excellent because you're excellent. Thank you for everything that you're going to do, not only in the lives of the people who will receive our gifts from Faith Promise, but, Father, you make it so clear in your word that we will receive blessings by giving. And, Father, when we do that, help us to turn all of our attention, all the people's attention, all the glory, everything back to you. Guard our gains, Father, and guard our big heads. In your son's name I pray, amen. Thank you so much.